Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you, God, for your word. How is it a, it is a treasure? Because it leads us to you. So, Lord, I pray that we would see beautiful things here, but that it would stir our hearts, that it would lead us to you, that through your word we would know you more, that we would love you more deeply, we would understand you and see your beauty, and it would stir us to respond in faith. Lord, forgive us for how we search in other places and search for other ways and chase other gods. But Lord, today I pray that you would allow us to feel your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 16 begins actually with an interesting word. It calls it a mictum of David, which normally it's like a psalm or song or to the choir master or something like that. But there's a few places where this word is used. And normally I don't you know, spend a lot of time talking about those things, but it, this one is pretty fascinating. Um, some translate that as, as something precious, like precious gold or a precious jewel. So there are some who just say that this is like a, a precious um, word of wisdom. But another way that people translate it is that it's like a secret or a mystery. So it's something that is, that is unknown, but it's like a key to unlocking something. And so Charles Spurgeon said that these two fit together quite nicely when he looks at this word, and he refers to this psalm as the precious secret. And I think it's really fitting. Because this psalm addresses in a relatively short manner some of the key questions of life. Like what is the meaning of life? How are we, how are we supposed to live? How do we pursue happiness? Where do we find it? And how do we feel secure in our hope for the future? In all my years of ministry, these three questions come up a lot. These are the ones that we wrestle with. These are the things that keep us up at night. As we wonder, what is, what is the right way to, what's the right thing to do? Where's the, what's the right decision to make? How, how can I be happy? And as we worry and plan for the future, trying to give ourselves some kind of security, some kind of hope that things will be okay. And in this psalm, it's wrapped up in the last verse. If you look at verse 11, says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Like, there it is, right there. In one verse, 
David addresses these things. He says, you make known to me the path of life. You are the, the way that I know um, where to go or what to do or what my purpose is. You, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. That's where I will find happiness. All questions about the future, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. But the key to that is not those things that he's found, but where he finds those things in God. He says, you make known. It is in your presence. It is at your right hand. David knows the secret. And when you look at it and you think about it, you might be thinking like, well, that doesn't feel like much of a secret because that's what we hear every single week. Yes. And I would submit that most of our problems around understanding how the world works or understanding why we can't find joy and happiness and peace and why we worry so much about the future doesn't lie so much in the fact that we don't understand what God is telling us about those things but in the fact that we don't like what he says and we don't trust him that he is good that in him we find the path of life that in him we find the fullness of joy that in him we find pleasures forevermore and David knows that simple secret but he only knows that secret in part. It's fitting that this is called the precious secret on another level because according to Peter, David is actually writing about Jesus. I think we have it on the screen. I hope in Acts 2, when Peter on the day of Pentecost is preaching, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Here it is. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. 
So Peter is saying to a crowd that would have known Psalm 16, he would say, remember Psalm 16? And everyone thinks, yes, in God are the fullness. That's the fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. He will not abandon me. And Peter says, David was talking about Jesus. And that realization brings a point of decision. And Verse 37 of Acts 2. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And so Peter is drawing this parallel and saying David is talking about Jesus. And he's saying David is saying what Jesus often says and what Peter says here. There are two roads. This has been a consistent theme in our church lately as we've just seen more and more people wrestle with this idea. More and more people who are realizing their kingdoms were kind of meshing together and trying to live as their own kings while they're doing that and trying to honor God in the process and realizing I can't do that. And we see it again here that there are two roads. You can chase after God or you can chase after other gods, but you cannot do both. And David addresses that in verse 4. He says, The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So he's saying, look, I know what happens when they chase after other gods. I see it all around me. When they chase after other gods, it leads to sorrow. And because I know that it is either following you or following those other gods, I won't even entertain it. I know those sorrows multiply, so I won't even go there. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. I won't, I won't even. I know where that leads. And he says in verse 5, then, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. He's saying, look, all, all my eggs are in this basket. David is just going all in saying, listen, God, I know that it's in you that I will find all the things that I'm looking for. I'm not going to entertain these other things, these other paths. That's why he says in verse 1, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. You hear this language over and over from David. You are my refuge. I have no good apart from you. Your people are my delight. What about for you? We've talked and we will continue in the Psalms about refuge. Where do you find your refuge? Would you say that you have no good apart from God or do you feel like God is a part of what's good in your life? Would you say that for the saints in the land that they are the excellent ones? Like, do you find your delight in God's people? I just want to ask three questions today to help us discern. What, what road am I going down? And let me just like full disclosure Every day, we are constantly choosing between these roads. 
And there are some ways, in some ways, that we will find when we actually look honestly that, that we, you may find that you've been going down other roads chasing other gods. But if we want to know, if we want to experience what David is talking about, what he experiences in this psalm, then we have to be honest and willing to look. We cannot hide from what the Spirit might be doing. So these three questions are, where, where do you look for instruction on the path of life. Like, where do you look to explain how, how things in the world work? Where do you look for happiness? And where is your hope for the future? So first, where do you look for instruction? to explain how the world works. David says, you make known to me the path of, the life, a path of life. Other places in, in verse 7 and 8, he says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Where do you look? You know, one of those roads leads to peace, and the other one leads to fear and frustration. Who gives you counsel? Who do you trust to explain to you how things are and what reality is? We will often give lip service to God and to say, oh, no, no, I, I believe the Bible. It's been my experience that a person saying, I live my life according to the Bible, I believe the Bible, is no indication of whether they actually know what the Bible says. It just becomes a thing that we say. But do we believe it? Do we actually go there to find the path of life? A big reason we chase other gods is because we think we know better. We think that if we can go on our understanding and piece things together, that that's what makes the most sense. And after all, what makes the most sense to me is what makes the most sense. Remember we talked about common sense and usually our definition of common sense is just what makes sense to me. It's not very common usually. It's just common in my own mind, how it makes sense to me. And so we chase other things. We piece things together. We think we can see clearly. We think our, our news outlets know better than God. We think that our group of friends who think exactly like we do know better than God. We refuse to even let Scripture push against us because when Scripture pushes against us, then you must be interpreting it wrong. But how often do things work out the way you think that they are supposed to? How often do you find yourself growing in frustration at how the world is working around you? How often do you find yourself confused, wondering why are things not the way they're supposed to be? And I would just submit that when that happens, when we look around and we are surprised at the condition around us, that means we have bought into instruction that is not from the Lord. When we are shocked, when we are, find ourselves frustrated because this isn't the way things are supposed to work, we are not hearing what God is actually saying. We are buying into other voices. And those other voices that are not of God, whether they are news outlet or the enemy, what they are selling is fear and frustration. 
fear that things won't work out the way they are supposed to if you don't do something about it. Frustration at how the world is going downhill. And the person who is instructed by those voices grows in fear. They seek more control, either by physical means or through manipulation. And as they cannot control things, they get more and more frustrated and less and less peaceful. Confused as to why things aren't working out right. Frustrated about it. And then they become accusers of others. Well, if only everyone else did things the right way. If only everyone else understood this the way I understand it. If only everyone else voted the way I voted. Or thought about this thing the way I think about it. Or worked as hard as I do. Or was as full of integrity as I am. And become accusers and blaming others for the way things are. That's the road of receiving counsel from the world. But the one who receives counsel from the Lord is at peace. See, people who read their Bible and follow Jesus as the way are not surprised by trials or persecutions. Saddened? Yes. Grieving? Absolutely. Hungry for for better, like for God to, to do things, to bring healing, to bring revival? Of course. We're not surprised. We're not surprised by suffering because we understand that this is the way. We're not surprised that the world pushes against the kingdom of God because God says that's what will happen. If you receive your counsel from the Lord, you'll receive things like John 15 where Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. It's not like he doesn't tell us The problem more often is we don't want to hear it. And Peter doubles down in 1 Peter 4 when he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So much of our frustration at how the world is functioning around us would actually turn to peace if we just believed what God says in his word. We wouldn't be surprised. We would understand. In fact, those trials which often cause us to question God's goodness would be used to build our faith because we would say, ah, you said this was gonna happen. You promised this was going to happen. We just did the Sermon on the Mount series, and I, I would encourage you, the Sermon on the Mount is full of statements that are not intellectually hard to understand, but they are difficult to accept. 
And it takes a renewed heart and a renewed mind and new eyes to see it. But it is beautiful and it is the path of life that leads to peace. Second question is where do you look for happiness, for your fulfillment? He says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. And just like I find that people, as they go down this road, you can tell one of the ways to know which road am I going. Am I chasing after idols? Am I chasing after a false God, a false picture of God? Even if I call him the God of the Bible, am I still chasing after a false God? Or am I chasing after the true Jesus? You'll know by are you growing in peace or are you growing more frustrated? Do you find yourself day by day getting more and more frustrated and anxious about what the, whether, what's going on around the world? Or do you find yourself becoming more and more at peace. And similarly, where do you look for your happiness or your fulfillment? Because you will find yourself going down one road that leads to joy and one that leads to bitterness. Where do you look for your joy, for your happiness, for your contentment? Because chasing the gods of temporary highs and temporary happiness will not last. We talk about this all the time, whether it's through substances or materialism or relationships or political power, it won't last. The reason people are always looking for happiness and why there's such a market for selling happiness is because people are always in need of it because it's so fleeting. If happiness was secure and rock solid for people, there would be no market for it because everybody would be like, I already have that. I don't need that. I'm good. But nobody says that because it's fleeting, because it comes and goes with our circumstances as things change around you. How many times have you had a moment where you are happy and you are satisfied and you feel a sense of joy and that lasts until you run into another person. You had that moment? You're like, man, my day's going great. And then you get up out of bed. And it's just so common. I've heard that so often. Someone's like, man, I was, I was doing so well. And then I walked into work and I saw that guy. Ugh. I was, I was doing, I felt so much peace and I was so happy as I was just reading my Bible and then I got asked one more question about where I can find socks. And I just lose it. It's so fragile. It's so temporary. Because other gods cannot deliver long-term joy. They all fail and you will feel cheated. And here's the thing, it's not just about losing your happiness, but every time that happens and it gets ripped away from you and you're buying into a narrative of like, this is how the world is supposed to work. People are supposed to be good to me. They're supposed to be nice to me. They're supposed to treat me fairly. And every time they don't, I grow a little more bitter because I'm not getting what I feel entitled to. Others aren't playing by the right rules and doing what they're supposed to be doing. God isn't giving me what he's promised me. And every time, I become a little more bitter, a little more bitter. Listen, if you chase the God of a perfect home life, then you will work hard to make that happen, and then you will grow bitter toward your spouse for not being the perfect spouse according to your measurement. You'll be bitter at your kids for not obeying or acting the way 
that you think they should based on your measurement. If you chase the perfect job, then you will grow bitter at your boss for not fulfilling what he's promised or she has said she would do. You'll be bitter at your coworkers for not holding up their end of the bargain and making you look bad. If you chase perfect community, whether in church or in a neighborhood, then you will grow bitter at your neighbors for ruining your happiness. Whether at a national level, you see this right now. Holy cow, do you not see this? Look at the mass exodus of people from one state to another. People flocking from blue states to red states and red states to blue states. Why? Because their bitterness is growing at their neighbors. They are the problem. If I can just get away from them, I'll be okay. We see this in churches. We hop around. But you know what ends up happening? You see it in neighborhoods and towns where people go and want to just, like, listen, all I want to do is go buy a house where I am miles away from anybody else. I just hit like 85% of your dreams right there. But listen, in my experience in watching as people go down that road, the road of bitterness, they end up getting their wish. They end up being isolated and alone in a house where they don't know their neighbors, not going to church because they could never find a perfect one. And they grow more and more bitter. And they come bitter at God for not giving what they feel entitled to. It's ironic, really. When people are angry at God and grow bitter at God for not blessing their idols. You ever think about that? Like, God, I have this plan. I have this path. I'm chasing another God. And I expect you to bless my path to that other God. And when you don't, I'll reject you. There's another way. There's a way to live in joy. The one who finds their joy in the Lord finds it in full. The one who rejects the external circumstances of the world finds their joy because it is found in him. In verse 9, David says, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. See, the, the, the bitter person feels entitled and anything that they receive is just payment for their goodness. And it's never enough. But the joyful person who sees God as merciful and gracious and extravagantly generous, receives everything as a gift because it's a reminder that they are seen and known and loved and it's all mercy and it's all grace because they see everything is coming from their good father. Listen, if, if joy is in your circumstances, it will come and go. But if your joy is in a person who never leaves you, will never forsake you, will never condemn you, will always love you and always be with you, then your joy is unshakable. And I get this, this one is, the, the first one with instruction is kind of easy in the sense of just go to God's word and believe him. Read it, understand it, like believe him. But this one, we say, well, you abide in Jesus. Like, you want joy that's unshakable? Then just abide in Christ. And we say, well, how do I do that? 
just be with him. Be like David says, I have no good apart from you. David would rather have hard circumstances in the presence of God than easy circumstances apart from God. And I thought about how, what's the best example? And I'll just tell you like the rough draft that things got cut. I thought about my cats. I had several stories about my cats. I'm not telling you any. That'll be bonus time, podcast or after, after the service. But here's what I thought about. I went from my cats to my wife. Um, and, and the thing is, my wife and I love to find like little hole-in-the-wall restaurants. We like to go try new things. And we like to go into a restaurant that looks like, I don't know if, if no one's ever eaten there or what, and you just say, hey, just like whatever you think sounds good, we'd love to eat it. And sometimes it's amazing. And sometimes it's terrible. <laughs> but either way, it's fun. Because I'm with her. And I would rather go to eat at a terrible restaurant with terrible food, with terrible service, with my wife, than to go to a great restaurant with you. <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. It just sounded, sounded good at the time. Um, no, I'd rather, I mean, because I, in a bad restaurant with bad food, even if we paid a lot of money for it, we laugh about it. Right? Like we joke about it. It's a shared experience together. We get to joke about sometimes we've been in restaurants where my food was really good and hers has hair in it. Yeah, that happened once. And I just enjoyed my food. Well, I was like, that's too bad. I mean, that, it's, it's, it's fun. And I'm telling you right now that that is the experience you can have in Christ about all kinds of things that normally steal our joy as you are with him and you say, I'm with him. I'm with Christ. That's why the New Testament church could say, I consider it joy. I can, I can be persecuted. I can rejoice that I'm counted worthy to suffering for his namesake. Why? Because they're with him. And they would rather be in front of a trial of people who want to beat them and persecute them. And with Jesus, they would rather be there and experience joy that is not shakable than be out there with all their crops flourishing, but be apart from God. And there are many in this room who know that, who have walked through hard things. And you would say, I would rather go through that hard thing with Jesus than to not have that hard thing and be apart from him. If you know that, you have to testify to that. And some of you know that, but you've forgotten it. And man, am I empathetic with that. I feel that deeply. But some of you don't know that it exists. That's joy that lasts. And every circumstance that comes only deepens the joy like the next bad thing that happens on the date only deepens the bond and the experience of it. As you walk with Christ, it doesn't matter what comes because it all gets turned for good because he works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. What the enemy means for evil, God means for good. These are not flippant, cheesy sayings. These are promises from the creator of the universe. 
So everything gets turned to good. The person who hurts you and offends you is now an opportunity to forgive as you have been forgiven by the Jesus who stands right with you. The obnoxious coworker is an opportunity to love someone who is hard to love as you have been loved by the one who is with you. The disobedient child is an opportunity to demonstrate the mercy of God as he has been merciful to you. See, true joy isn't fleeting. It grows deeper and deeper. True joy is not affected by your circumstances. True joy affects your circumstances. Now, if you've been here long enough, you know that I am not at all the master of pithy little statements. So there you go. That was a good one. You get like one every seven years. That was it. True joy is not affected by your circumstances. True joy affects your circumstances. Think of a time where you had really great news, where you received incredible news. Kids, I want you to think of a time where you got the best Christmas present. Imagine like when you get the best present, the best thing could happen for, for adults or for anybody. It might, it might be when you received good news from a medical report, things that you were afraid of. And there may be a relief. There may be joy that comes with relief. There might be joy that comes with the good news of, of finding out that you're expecting or finding out um, that, that you got a new job or just something where it's just like, man, this just like fills me up. I'm so excited. How do you feel after you get that news? How do you feel after you open that present? Indestructible. I remember, I remember after finding out, um, I think it was after we found out that uh, we were having a boy, when we were having Silas, and everything looked good, and we could finally start telling people. We went to the only restaurant that was close, IHOP. And IHOP tasted amazing. And IHOP is not amazing. <laughs> but you just feel like you're, there's a reason why we have those sayings. Like I'm on cloud nine. Like I receive this news, like nothing can affect me. That person that cut me off in traffic, like go ahead, I would love for you to go. Have a good day, right? Like just waving at him. Like I see the, the pile of dishes in the sink, doesn't matter. Doesn't, nothing can affect me in those moments. But how long does that last? It affects everything around you, but for a moment. And so if something that's so temporary can affect your circumstances so profoundly, how much greater can the good news of the gospel affect everything around you for your entire life? For all who hear and believe the good news that Jesus Christ saves sinners and takes rebels and makes them sons, it affects all of your circumstances as you are constantly walking around going, I'm saved. It's finished. No more debt do I owe. In Christ, I have everything that I could possibly want. He is with me. He's already told me what's going to happen here, and I believe him, and so I'm not surprised, and I see how he's turning it for good. You are indestructible. Your cup runs over, and that leads to the last one. Where is your hope found? And it's found in Jesus, in his finished work. David says, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That is the road to hope. The other one is the road to despair. It should come as no shock 
that follow that road down that we've talked about. It should come as no shock that frustration over how the world works and fear over what's going to happen if we don't do something. That ends up leading to bitterness towards others as we become accusers of others and bitterness towards others around me. That that road would end up leading to despair and sorrows. Unfulfilled promises, unfulfilled dreams. It's despair. Their sorrows multiply. If you idolize health, where, where is your hope? How long can you have... How long can you delay the effects of aging? If you idolize financial security, where's your hope? How, how does that not go up and down with the market? If you idolize your children, where's your hope? What happens when they go astray or they wander or they make choices that are heartbreaking to you? If you idolize your country, where's your hope as it goes up and down with every political battle? And all of that produces despair. It is a house built on sand. And it leads to despair and bitterness and frustration. And you start to see it in your character. So I'm asking the question, do you see that in yourself? Do you see yourself getting more frustrated or more peaceful? Do you see yourself getting more joyful or more bitter? Do you see yourself becoming more hopeful or more despairing. There are ways of justifying all of it. We justify when we go down that road chasing other gods. We become pessimistic and bitter and we justify our pessimism by calling it realism. But it's just doubt that God gives good gifts. Justify our unforgiveness by calling it justice but it's just doubt that God will make all things right. You justify your lack of truth or lack of love by calling it truth, but it's just doubt that God is merciful. It just should come as no shock that that leads to frustration and bitterness and despair. But the other way, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The lines, verse 6, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. See, when David looks at the future in the context of being with God, he sees only beauty and hope. Even when he's hiding in a cave, even when he's faced with his own sin, and he doesn't even know the whole secret. But you do, and I do, that not only has God promised these things, he has delivered them through Jesus Christ. Listen, what could you possibly want? Jesus has already secured it for you. That's not hope as in wishful thinking. That is hope that does not put to shame. What do you want? Do you want to be loved? He loved you before the foundation of earth and he demonstrates his love for you and that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Do you want to be secure? Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Do you want to be content? Then speak with Paul in Philippians 4 where he says, I can handle anything. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. 
Do you want to be free from the burden of holding everyone else accountable? Then believe that he is the just judge and will make all things right. Do you want to experience life to the full? He gives it. So which one are you going down? Which one are you laying hold to? Have you experienced this and tasted it? So there are those of you in this room that are saying, you're living this right now. Well, then testify that he is good. Let people know that he is good in the midst of all circumstances. Let your joy affect the circumstances around you. Or if you have tasted and seen, but you've forgotten, then remember. Remember. And also know this. That if you've forgotten and you remember today, you don't have anything to make up for. Just let that sink in for a second. You don't have to demonstrate, okay, I've been wandering away from you, Lord, for, for five years, so now I need to do five years of living up to this standard and then I'll feel secure. No. The prodigal son story tells us that he runs to you and embraces you now. Right now. So remember. And to the one who's not experienced, but has experienced chasing after those other gods, have chased peace, but have found frustration, have chased joy, but have found bitterness, have chased hope, but have found sorrow, stop and turn and find life. He makes known the path of life. He is the one who is the holder of the fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. I'm going to close with 1 Peter 1. And let Peter tell you this. It should be on the screen. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great Mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Do you hear? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, mictum, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of God. Do you see it? Do you want it? He's not hiding from you. What if all the things that you blame God for are actually the result of a world that constantly chases after other gods? What if the reason you are not experiencing the fullness of joy isn't about your circumstances, but about your heart? What if the place of pleasures forevermore is not found in a retirement home or a hunting weekend 
but at the right hand of God in Jesus Christ. To follow him. That's how we respond. And you're asking like, well, then what about this? What about that? Just follow him. It's often not more complicated than this. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I said I was going to end with that. I'm not. John 14. I think it's on the screen. It better be. I put it in there. It's there. I just love this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also with him. And you know the way to where I am going. And I love this because Thomas is like, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Follow him and find life. Let's pray. Father, we desperately need you to open our hearts and our minds to the beauty of your word. We cannot understand this in our own mind. We cannot, I can't preach it in a way that will make it make sense. Only you can soften hearts. Lord, let us see that chasing other gods leads to sorrow, but chasing you and pursuing you and abiding in you is the path to peace and joy and hope and treasures forevermore. Let us hear it, believe it, and live it. In the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.